the Bible. It's the Word of God, sharper than any two-edged sword. This sacred book is living and active and contains all that's needed for life and godliness. Stay with American Family Radio for the next hour as we study God's Word and take your Bible questions. Welcome to Exploring the Word. Well, good afternoon and welcome to Exploring the Word. I believe that Bert Harper calls this a Thunder Thursday, where we're going to begin taking your phone calls here at the beginning of the show at 888-589-8840. No, is it 1-800 or 888? It's 888-888-589-8840. Man, I, I've been thinking about share today, and you know how easily confused I am. By the way, the voice you're hearing there is Dr. Alex McFarland. Alex, how are you? I'm blessed, Jim. It's so good to be on with you today. Are, are you having a good day? I am, until I couldn't remember the phone number. Um, <laughs> hey, tell me, you are going to be preaching where this Sunday? Well, this Sunday, I'm going to be at First Baptist Church of Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, where we're having Truth for a New Generation, October 15 through 17. And I've been on the phone all day with people that are coming. And hey, by the way, uh, TNG uh, Jim, we're largely going to be talking about a Christian response to the woke movement. And we have Sandy Rios coming and Frank Turek and Bishop E.W. Jackson, who you hear every day on a show called The Awakening. And uh, I'll just give a little plug for it. Um, if you go to just my name, alexmcfarland.com, Jim, the Truth for a New Generation conferences, and we, we've done about 45 of these over the last 24 years, it's all about biblical worldview and apologetics, which is defending the faith. But um, myself, Frank Turek, Sandy Rios, we have more than a dozen speakers that want to help you and your teens and all ages be prepared to present and defend the Christian faith. Because, Jim, I don't mean to start off on a little bit of a down note, but I am, I am concerned for our country, Jim. And that's why we're doing Truth for a New Generation Again, October 15 through 17 in Myrtle Beach. And um, we're going to also, one last thing and the commercial is over, but on Saturday uh, during the electives, we have got one of the nation's premier youth ministries. It's called Ground Zero. And they're coming in to do a two-hour seminar on how your church can evangelize young people and, and build a youth ministry that will turn your city upside down for Jesus. So if you go to my website, alexmcfarland.com, uh, we would love for you to come to Truth for a New Generation in October, and let's, let's get ourselves equipped to see revival come to America. All right, let me ask you, Alex, uh, by the way, folks, the phone number is 888-589-8840, 888 and we'll take your calls uh, beginning now, as, you know, as a matter of fact, so go ahead and, and get those calls into us, 888-589-8840 is the number to call. And Alex, um, when you talk about the woke movement, help me understand just a little, because, see, the woke movement, I think, is a modern-day deception. Would you break that down just a tad? Well, God bless you. You're, you're right. And frankly, it, it is fascinating how it came into the, the public, you know, conversation, if you will. But uh, the term woke, W-O-K-E, was added to dictionaries beginning in, 19, uh, beginning in 2017. 
Uh, so it's been about four years ago. And woke is synonymous with awake. Now, the way that uh, the left means, they mean uh, being socially aware, attuned to political and social issues like racism, discrimination, and injustice. Uh, but what I see it as, Jim, is that people that want this country to go Marxist mm. uh, see this moment as an opportunity. Now, woke ideology says this, and, and this might sound a little bit over the top, but I assure you this is, this is where things are right now. And a lot of this research I was doing one year ago for my book, The Assault on America, how to defend our nation before it's too late. And I, I got so much data that a lot of it is going into a second book. But woke ideology is in secular academia, the news media, the political posturing of you know people like uh, AOC and the squad and, and Kamala Harris and President Biden, pop entertainment, pop music, um, and the goals of the woke culture. I'll share this, and, and we'll get to calls. But, Jim, believe it or not, the, the goals of the woke culture include the uh, abolition of the U.S. Constitution, mm-hmm. formulation of a new Constitution, uh, definitely abolish capitalism, and, and really um, eliminate religion, um, raise children as gender-neutral, uh, regulate the arts to reflect woke beliefs, defunding law enforcement. And, uh, Jim, I want to say this. I'm going to throw it back to you. Here's the thing. Everybody has a God in their life, an ultimate thing. And for those that don't know the true God, the, the Savior, the, the Lord of the Bible, Jesus, their God is some sort of utopia or the state or somehow we're going to build this paradise here on earth. And they're very driven about what they're doing because somehow forcibly ushering in utopia, that's their ultimate Mm. thing. That's their God, isn't it? It it sure seems to be. And, you know, we don't politicize a lot on this program unless it comes up against our morals, uh, our Christian morals, and, and where we will defend those as such as life and the Bible and think you know the very essence of truth, if you will, but Alex, that it it is misleading uh, for folks to say, "Look, you're either woke or you're not." Well, I think in some certain some some circumstances, you know, that's just not a that's not a fix all. That's not a cover all, and we as Christ followers need to be careful about that. Mm-hmm. All right, and 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 let me say this. Um, I feel so blessed. This is the first conference we've had Sandy Rios in. Um, I've invited her in years past, but, you know, she's very busy. She is one of the most astute thinkers, folks. Sandy Rios, brilliant. Frank Turek, brilliant. E.W. Jackson, just a brilliant Harvard lawyer and also a pastor. And we're going to be talking about um, building a biblical worldview in your children. We're going to be talking about everything from creation versus evolution to moral truth. And so, uh, you know, Jim, I, I used to do these Truth for New Generation events, and it, it was fun. We'd bring together Josh McDowell and Eric Metaxas and all kind of people. Um, and it was, it has been a very rewarding thing to do. 
I'm doing these now because it, it's mandatory. Mm. Brother, brothers and sisters, we have got to instill a love of God and country in people, uh, or, or there's not going to be an America to save. I agree. 888-589-8840 is the number to call as we kick off Thunder Thursday with Anthony calling from Mississippi. Anthony, welcome to Exploring the Word. Thank you. Uh, long-time listener, first-time caller. I love you. Well, I hope we don't lose you. You're breaking up a little bit, brother. Go ahead. Okay. My daughter has trying to get me into the Passion Translation. And um, everything that I've read about it, I don't think it's the... I'm concerned for her. Okay. Alex, the Passion Translation is not one I'm familiar with. Are you? Um, yes, I've seen it just a little bit in passing, and it's it's really kind of one of these paraphrases, you know. Ah, uh, okay. Um, y- years ago, there was um, uh, the message, and, well, in, in a way, uh, it's the, the Living Bible that Ken Taylor translated, but it was really kind of a, uh, you know, not so much a translation from Hebrew and Greek, but it was really him restating the Bible in his own words. But the Passion Translation, a lot of people have felt like it was very soft on some of the things where the Bible has been very clear. I mean, if you read, uh, there, there are a lot of New Testament scriptures, not the least of which are Romans 1 and 2 and 1 Corinthians 6, where clearly... Clearly, um, you know, there are certain people who, if you don't repent of certain sins, uh, you'll go to hell. And uh, a lot of people feel like because the passion, and I'm getting a little technical here, but in translation of the Bible, there is um, what's called formal equivalence or functional equivalence. Now, a way that they translate is like they exchange words, you mm-hmm. know, like agape is love, uh, although there are a number of Greek words for love. The Passion Translation, uh, because its purpose, ostensibly, was to be relevant for the modern generation, a lot of people feel like it's a little um, kind of loosey-goosey with being... Um, more like a paraphrase than a literal word-for-word translation. You know, Jim? Yeah. Um, go ahead. I, I was going to say, I, I looked it up real quick, and boy, I tell you, um, it is, I, I would be a bit concerned with it. You know, when you were talking about the Living Bible, I remember uh, there was one that was called The Way uh, mm-hmm. probably about 30 years ago. If I not, forgot all about that, but I remember, yeah. Yeah, and so this one kind of looks like that, but anytime you run into something that is going to be an interpretation or is going to be a uh, paraphrase, uh, you just got to be careful with that. This is this goes back to one of the things that you and I and, and Bert have talked about is that some of the new translations are really good and really reliable, but a lot of times it's not necessarily a bad idea to pull the King James off the shelf and sit it next to the Bible that you're reading to make sure that, you know, that, that there is, and I'm not saying, don't misunderstand me, the King James is a tool like the New Living Translation's a tool, like the Amplified Version's a tool, uh, but sometimes you, you have that really reliable, 
base source, if you will. And that's, that's what helps. And so, Alex, I tell you, uh, just having looked over this just a little bit, it's a little mm-hmm. disconcerting to me. Yeah, and, and let me just say this, too. Um, and again, I know we're kind of getting a little bit technical here, but the Old and New Testaments come to us in Hebrew and Greek, Hebrew mm-hmm. being the Old Testament, Greek being the New Testament. And there are some sayings of Jesus that are in Aramaic because that is one of the languages that Jesus would have been familiar with and spoke in. But the Passion Translation uses as some of their source material for the New Testament Aramaic documents that have been discovered that while it may have been in general harmony with the Christian message, they weren't biblical manuscripts. Right. And so they use source material to influence their handling of text, whether it's you want to call it a translation, you call it a paraphrase, but they use non-scriptural outside Aramaic source material for um, what they put in the New Testament half of, of this particular Bible. So let, let me say it is, if I can use this word, a very postmodern approach to putting out a copy of God's Word. Yeah. Because um, let, let me just say... Um, one of the problems of the modern world is we're, we're forcing history to fit our current positions, and the passion is an example of that. Yeah. Triple eight five eight nine eighty eight forty. Thunder Thursday continues on Exploring the Word here on American Family Radio. This is Pause to Pray, a chance to stop down from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders. Today, we pray for Tanya Trujillo, Assistant Secretary of the U.S. Department of the Interior for Water and Science. She guides the department's research efforts and works to protect our lands and waters. Genesis 1-9 reminds us that the earth and seas are God's creation. And God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. Right now, with this in mind, let's pray together. Almighty God, we ask you to guide Tanya Trujillo in her work at the Department of the Interior. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pause to Pray is a service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team, a nonprofit, nonpartisan ministry dedicated to encouraging prayer for our nation's leaders. To learn more, go to pausetopray.org. Dr. Tony Evans says miracles are most likely to happen while we're busy doing what God told us to do. He'll share a story that proves the point as we spend two minutes with Tony. Why they at a wedding, they run out of wine. Jesus' mother comes over to him in chapter 2 and says, they don't have any wine. And Jesus knows what she meant. Show him who you is. Sure, sure. Jesus says, my time has not yet come. I'm not going to go public, but I am going to do something. He tells the servants to go get barrels of water and bring them. So they get the water. While they are walking, it turns into wine. So all they're doing is walking. But watch this. They are walking based on the word. Because Jesus says, fill it with water. 
See, a lot of reasons why we don't experience the Son of Man is we won't even go get the water. We try to, well, what you want water for? Why we need water? I want some wine. I need some wine. Jesus said, shut up, go get the water. So they go get the water. And when they get the water, the head waiter says, in every wedding I'm a part of, we put the good wine out first. And then we save the bad wine for last. But you have brought the good wine out last because this is better than any other wine we've ever had before. See, when you get right with Jesus, your best time can be your last time, even though you've run out of things this time. Learn more about the words used in the Bible to describe Jesus and how that understanding can change your life. Check out Tony's book, The Power of Jesus' Names, available online at TonyEvans.org. And be sure to join us next time for Two Minutes with Tony. Welcome back to Exploring the Word on American Family Radio. Welcome back to Exploring the Word. Alex McFarland along with Jim Stanley. We're taking your calls and questions all hour today. The number is 888-589-8840. We'd be honored to field your Bible question, and Jim and I will do our best to give you a factual answer. Jim, where should we go next? Let's talk to Bobby calling from Arkansas. Bobby, welcome to Exploring the Word. Hello. 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 Yes, this is Bobby. I enjoy you. I really enjoy your show. Well, well thank, thank you. Hello. Yes, Bobby, you're on you. the air. All right. My question is, I have a trouble understanding between uh, sowing discord and stating my opinion. Uh, could you give me an example of showing uh, sowing discord, please? Uh, well, here, let, let's let Alex and I do a, a role play, if you will, Okay. <laughs> okay. All right, here we go. Alex McFarland, you're a liar, and you don't know the truth. Tell me how you can be so sure that your answer is what it ought to be from the Bible. Well, I do my best to know God's Word and share God's Word, and so I, I don't claim to be infallible. I know I make mistakes, but come on, Jim, calling me a liar, isn't that a little strong? <laughs> <laughs> That's a little strong. So, Bobby, that I was sowing discord by casting dispersion upon Alex and by saying that, you know, that my answer or, or it may be better than his or his answer may be better than mine. And let me tell you, 99.9% of the time, Alex's answer is going to be much better than mine. But that's kind of how you do it. It's one thing to have your opinion, and it's one thing to share your opinion. But if you become so opinionated that you're not even willing to listen to secondary answers then you really can be, begin sowing discord rather than simply stating your opinion. Alex, would you go with that? Yeah, and, you know, I, I definitely, Bert Harper and I and Jim Stanley, we definitely believe in telling people the truth of God's Word. And sometimes it's, in this culture, sometimes it's hard to really lay the cards down and tell people what God's Word says. But um, Proverbs sixteen twenty eight, very interesting verse 1628 says that a 
a talebearer can separate the best of friends. And Jim, one of the biggest sources of discord in the church can be what I call the rumor mill, mm. you know. And, and the, the Bible says talebearer, somebody who passes on gossip. So, so I, I would say do lovingly share God's word, but, and this goes for all of us, in the body of Christ and in the local church, um, let's not pass on gossip and let's not uh, pass on rumors because, oh, Jim, I've seen rumors do great destruction in the lives of people. So when Proverbs sixteen twenty eight is warning against being a talebearer, uh, I think that's, that's a verse that clearly says that we don't need the rumor mill, do we? That's right. Bobby, thanks for your call this afternoon. Sure do appreciate it. Going to talk to Maureen now, calling from North Carolina. Maureen, welcome to Exploring the Word. Good afternoon. Thank you so much for your service. My question has to do with the origin of demons. Um, I've been a Christian for over 40 years, and I always had been told and understood that the fallen, the angels that fell with Lucifer in his rebellion were the were what demons are today, became today's demons. However, recently I was reading Second Peter 2, and in verse 4, it very clearly says that God, that they, that those angels, when they sinned, were cast from heaven and bound in chains in hell, waiting final judgment. So if that is the case, who, what, what is the origin of Satan's demons? Satan doesn't have the ability to create, so he couldn't have created the demons. So where have they come from? Who's their origin? I'll hang up watching it. Thank you, brothers. Mm. Uh, Jim, l- let me um, throw a few things in here, and, and we can maybe craft this answer. Um, in, in Isaiah 14, you read about the fall of Lucifer, and he tried to really take over heaven and put himself above the throne of God. And in Revelation 12, 4, which I think is a, a reference to um, the rebellion in heaven that led uh, to the, the fall of Satan, Revelation 12, 4 says that the dragon, Satan, swept a third of the stars from heaven. So um, most scholars believe that when Lucifer tried to overthrow heaven, he basically conned one-third of the angels into joining him in this failed coup attempt. In the uh, Revelation says there was war in heaven. Now, uh, Hebrews 12.22 says that there, there are innumerable angels. Okay, so there's a lot of angels. How many is a third of all the angels? I really don't know. But the angels that left their first estate... In other words, they were with God and served God. Then they chose to join Lucifer. When Lucifer was cast like lightning out of heaven, one-third of those angels fell with him and are now demons. And the New Testament uses the word demon like 80 times. But uh, I truly believe that um, even those that they talk about in Jude 1.6 that talk about uh, they're held in chains— uh, angels who did not keep their first estate but are now held in chains into the day of judgment. It uh, doesn't mean that they can't be out and about in this world doing things. Uh, and goodness, I, I think we're living in a time of, of great demonic activity. 
But, um, you know, a dog on a long leash can still reach enough to do some damage, you know, within the length of that leash. Mm-hmm. And Jim, is that how you understand angels? They, they have power, not unlimited power. They are limited, but even though they're en route to the lake of fire, they're still rampant around this world doing things. Yeah, and that's one thing, you know, when, when you think about that and when you think about the, the power that they do or do not have, um, they are not omniscient. You know, they, they don't know what you're thinking. They are not omnipresent. They can't be everywhere at once. And the same is true for the devil. And so a lot of the time, these messengers are spending their time taking things that we say out loud. And you were talking about the rumor mill earlier, Alex. Mm -hmm. You know, when you think about that, when you begin speaking something out loud and the demon doesn't have to be oppressing you, but it can go and it can take that message and say, hey, did you hear what Jim Stanley said? And then, you know, the messenger is sent to someone else and uh, you got to really be careful with that. You know, I believe it's James that tells us that the power of life and death is found in the tongue. And so mm-hmm. um, that that's a part of it as well. Great call. Thanks for that. We appreciate it. Let's talk to Chris calling from Texas now. Chris, welcome to Exploring the Word. Hey, how are you? Doing Good. well. Thanks for listening. Hey, thank you for taking my call. Uh, my call is about... Um, the vaccine, we've just been uh, notified that, you know, DOD personnel and federal employees are, uh, that it's going to be uh, mandatory uh, coming up real soon. And I'm a pastor at a church with a, a lot of people, uh, you know, that occupy those positions. And they're trying to make uh, good decisions. And there are several that are convicted about uh, receiving the vaccine. I think some of them may be convicted for political reasons, but uh some of them are convicted about the aborted fetal tissues that were used in, in the process. And, and I've been trying to counsel them uh, toward um, making a decision based from their faith. And, uh, and so praying through that, and if they arrive at the decision that, that it's not right for them to get the vaccine because of the, um, uh, because of the aborted fetal tissue and, and the issues that, that, that they have with that, that uh, maybe it's, it's, it's time to uh, deny the vaccine, um, and, and that would be, you know, tell, saying no to the government and, and possibly loss of job. But I'm curious on, on y'all's uh, thoughts on that. Chris, that's a, that's a great question. I visited the pulmonologist recently, and they asked me if I had been vaccinated, and I said no. And uh, when I was asked why, I articulated my answer to the doctor, and the doctor told me I was wrong, and I was like, okay. Uh, you know, go to the CDC and see what their results say for that. I said, I'm not, I'm not trying to be uh, hard-headed just to be hard-headed, but I personally didn't want to take part in what is essentially one of the largest trial drugs ever done on in human trials. Now, mm-hmm. Alex, you may have a, a completely different answer, and I'm not saying that I won't ever be vaccinated, but I was one of the guys that waited five to ten years before I ever tried the flu vaccine. So, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. I, I'm just that guy. Uh, you know what? Let me, let me say this. There is um, a Ph.D., uh, and I'm probably not going to get his name right. His name is Alex uh, Berezow, B-E-R-E-Z-O-W, and he uh, is with the American Council on Science and Health and a very respected scientist. And he's written articles in USA Today, um, 
Anyway, this this guy is not a wing nut, is my my point. And he wrote a really good article on why the COVID vaccine should not be mandatory. And he basically says the same thing, Jim, that we are witnessing one of the biggest, you know, science projects in human history. Mm-hmm. And and he talks about how the uh, efficacy of the COVID vaccine is not really determined. The safety of it is is far from uh, determined. And so, you know, there are plenty of scientists that, in fact, I was just reading articles by several Nobel laureates on how the mask wearing really doesn't do anything uh, and how a lot of people are saying from a medical and scientific standpoint, they're questioning the, the vaccine. Now, I want to be very clear we're not giving medical advice. Uh, I, we're uh, Bible teachers, and uh, you know, my degree is in philosophy uh, and English, so we're not at all giving you medical advice. That's between you and your doctor. I will say this, Jim, and, and what I'm about to say is very anecdotal. In other words, take it for what it's worth, and it may not be worth anything. But I do a lot of traveling. And people come and talk to me at my book table, and I always love to find out what people do. I'll say, what do you do? You know, it's interesting to know what line of work people are in. And over the last 18 months, I have talked to a lot of medical doctors. And I'll always say, okay, what do you say about the vaccine? Some say, great, go for it, do it. I recommend it. But, Jim, I would say over the last year and a half, take it for what it's worth, But of the maybe two dozen medical doctors that I've asked this question to, I would say at least 60 and maybe 70 percent have have said, look, um, off record, let me just say I wouldn't take it. I'm not going to take it. My family's not going to take it. These are medical doctors. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. with, With me, when something is kind of a jump ball like that, I'm a little careful with my body before. I'm going to let anybody experiment on me. Yeah. And so uh, it, now the legalities of it, uh, where it comes down to either take this or lose your job, um, that's, I'm thankful we have Christian legal societies that will at least attempt to defend the rights of Christians. Yeah, Pacific Justice League would be one of those. Uh, Liberty Council would be one of those. And there are a couple of others out there as well. We don't want to shortchange anyone. But those two, for sure, you know, would probably be willing to help with that. Now, Chris, again, understand you said you're a pastor, and you have to be careful with how you teach and preach that. It does come down basically to each individual choosing for themselves and then also choosing the consequences that come from that. Now, you mentioned you were a government employee also, and so for you, that might mean the loss of job. And so, you know... Again, as Alex said, we're not doctors, and we don't want to certainly don't want to lead you astray. And I mean, I've got an extra bedroom, but I couldn't house everyone that might take, you know, the stand. Uh, but so, I would encourage you to do exactly what you're doing. Make it a matter of prayer, you know, because so far I've not even heard of a um, religious exemption. And again, all of this is just being has just come down the pike, you know, the last couple of days with government 
declaring that this is going to be done to government employees. So um, I, keep us up to date on how that shakes out, if you will. You can email us, word, at AFR.net. We're going to talk to Marjorie now from Mississippi. Marjorie, welcome to Exploring the Word. Hi, Marjorie. Hello. Yes, ma'am, you're on yes, the air. Thank you. My uh, call is regarding my concern for a ten-and-a-half-year-old grandson who is obsessed with Pokemon cards in his collection thereof. I'm wondering if you see any evil attached to that. Of course, I would like him to be more interested in spiritual things, but he does have some special needs, and one of them would be behavior. So can you give me any insight on Pokemon? All right, Marjorie. Uh, Alex, I'm going to let you chip in here a, a, a pretty good bit. Uh, but Pokemon, as I understand it, uh, it came from, I believe the game itself came from Japan, and yeah. I believe that it was a kind of a short saying for pocket monster. And mm, so yeah. you, Good. when you have those things and you have something that's called pocket monster, then, you know, that automatically sounds like something you might want to be careful of. Alex? Yeah. You know, I remember um, when these first came around because uh, Allie and Benjamin, Alexandria and Benjamin, uh, a, a niece and a nephew, uh, they were staying with us, and we had them under our care for a long time. And, oh, my goodness, Benjamin was into Pokemon cards. Because, um, you know, there is a game where characters have different powers, and you want to build up a big, strong deck. Um, l let's come back to this after the break. Can we do that? We'll Abs finish this answer. Absolutely. 888-589-8840. Karen, stick around. We'll get the rest of your answer. Pardon me. Karen, will come to you. Marjorie will get the rest of your answers straight ahead here on Exploring the Word on AFR. In his image, delighting in God's plan for gender and sexuality. I loved it. I loved how biblically sound it was, all the scripture to back it up. The testimonies were very powerful. If it's a prodigal child that has just run away, or one that's caught up in same-sex attraction, there's hope in Jesus. In His Image is now available on DVD and can be purchased in bulk to pass out to friends and family. Order today by visiting afastore.net. You've got Christians who love Jesus and they have kids and they're just like, I just don't know what my calling is. Right. Will and Mickey Addison. What is it that Jesus wants me to do? I feel Man. like I'm a teacher. And that's I feel like that's I'm a why, That's why when you <laughs> Go to the scripture and talk about yeah. equipping the saints for work of ministry. Come on. You should look inside first. It can exactly. be right, you know, at your address. Marriage, family, and the church. That's the focus of Airing the Addisons. Weekday afternoons at 2 Central on American Family Radio. The ear that listens to life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. The book of Proverbs is one that flows with abundant insight for wisdom. It shows that one of the most prominent qualities of wise people is that they welcome and even celebrate life-giving correction. In today's world, overrun by cultural Marxism, there is much discussion as to what segments of our society hate themselves. Well, Proverbs gives the answer. He who rejects life-giving correction despises himself. The truest demonstration of self-hatred is revealed by knuckleheads who refuse to humble themselves and embrace life-giving correction. 
Loving rebuke saves lives. Correction displays love. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. This is Dr. Stephen Rummage with today's Moving Forward Minute. In Matthew 11, verse 15, Jesus gave this important instruction. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. A man went to a friend for counsel about his teenage son. He said, I don't understand my son. He doesn't listen to me. His friend immediately saw part of the problem. He pointed out that the way you understand someone is not by getting them to listen to you, but instead by listening to them. If you want to understand your spouse or your child, listen to them. If you want to understand a friend, learn to listen. Most importantly, to understand Jesus, you must listen to Him. When you're with Jesus, don't do all the talking. He's always speaking through His Word. It's up to us to listen. For more resources, visit movingforwardradio.org. Join me every Sunday morning at 8.30 Central for Moving Forward right here on AFR. Be silent before me so that I may speak. Then let come upon me what may. Why should I take my flesh in my teeth and put my life in my hands? Though he slay me, I will hope in him. Job 13, 13 through 15. American Family Radio. Welcome back to Exploring the Word on American Family Radio. All the world starts changing when the church does You know, that's something that we as the body of the of Christ need to spend more time doing. And it kind of goes back to the earlier call, Alex, where the person was asking about the difference between opinion and uh, being one that would sow discord. If we mm -hmm. spent more time praying and less time gossiping, man, that, well, that'll preach all Amen. by itself. We were talking Amen. to Marjorie, and uh, we were talking about Pokemon. And Alex, you were just getting into your answer when the break hit. So pick up where you were. Well, uh, thanks very much. You know, on the one hand, on the one hand, um, little boys like to make collections. They do. And, and generally, uh, I don't see any kind of problem with that. I mean, Jim, did you ever collect anything when you were growing up, brother? Yes, sir, I did. I collected baseball cards. They sounded good in the spokes. Oh, they, they did. <laughs> oh, man, that brings back memories. I remember putting baseball cards on a clothespin, and it made my little two-wheel bike sound like a motorcycle. Do you remember that? Yes, sir. Um, I collected baseball cards. I went through a phase where I collected pocket knives, and most of them were really cheap, like you'd get at the dime store. <laughs> I'm really showing my age now. But on the one hand, like <laughs> collecting Pokemon cards, um, I generally think it's kind of like, little boys collect things and and that's okay because very often collecting and sorting things out leads to you know um structure and planning and things like that however i will say that a lot of people think that the gaming obsession really was traceable to the explosion of pokemon cards in the early 90s and let mm -hmm. me let me see the pokemon a lot, lot of kids collect them just because they like the cards and some of the characters. Then others really play these games where you got to build a strong deck because your characters have power to battle the other characters. And uh, for one, one writer said maybe one out of a hundred, the, the 
fascination with the cards or the games becomes a full-out addiction. Mm -hmm. And I mean, and I've actually read some papers by psychologists where guys are in their 20s or even 30s and they're still like obsessed with Pokemon. My gut feeling is for your grandson, if he's like 99% of other little boys, it'll run its course and he'll find another thing to fixate on and, uh, you know, he'll collect or get immersed in something else. Jim, I also went through a a phase where I went fishing all the time, and all I did was collect fishing lures. But um, let me say, just pray for him. Try to urge his parents to make sure that they're in church and that whatever we do, let's make sure that our number one loyalty and all of our energies are devoted to Jesus. Amen. Um, there's an old saying, and I'll I'll stop. But it's okay to have things, but don't let things have you. You ever heard that, Jim? I have, and that's a great uh, illustration because sometimes that's one of the things is that uh, if as you get deeper into Pokemon, then you really are beginning to yield more of yourself so that you can quote unquote uh, gain the power of that character. And that's mm-hmm. one of the things that, and as you mentioned. You know, it is one of the things that you have to be careful when you get into role-playing games, be it Pokemon, be it Dungeons and Dragons, be it whatever. Whenever you become more obsessed with the role that you're playing instead of the person that you are, that's when it really becomes dangerous. So, Marjorie, keep an eye out. That's a great phone call. Appreciate you this afternoon. Going to talk to Karen now, calling from Tennessee. Karen, welcome to Exploring the Word. Good afternoon. Uh, My question is, if you vote for a candidate that tells you they support and push abortion and you pull that lever in support of them, are you coming into agreement? Are you coming into covenant with them on this issue? And what scripture particularly uh, can I use to explain uh, if indeed that is now a covenant agreement? Uh, my second question is, will we be judged by Jesus after death for even the voting that we do in this life? Karen, those are great questions. Alex, uh, when you when you think about that and, and when you look at it in that light to where you're, because you've cast your vote for that person, then you're kind of endorsing what they stand for. You're kind of endorsing, you know, what their campaign may be about. And so I think that was a, a very well-presented question from Karen. But when you look at it in that light, it makes a lot of sense. And so you've got to be careful about that. Alex, when, when you think about that, uh, politicians who support abortion, it's almost like a tacit endorsement, isn't it? It is. And, and I, I'm with you. I commend the listener for phrasing the question wonderfully. Let me give a couple of verses and, and what I think are some applications. Proverbs 4.14 says, Do not enter the path of the wicked and do not proceed in the way of evil men. Uh, I think about Exodus 23.2, and Bird and I often use this verse during the times of the, the riots. But Exodus 23.2 says, You shall not follow the masses in doing evil, nor shall you testify in a dispute so as to turn aside after a multitude and pervert justice. Um, Proverbs 1.15, Do not walk in the path of evil men. Keep your feet from their path. Okay, clearly we're not to have um, associations or linkages with evil deeds or, or evil people. 
Um, but I really believe that how we vote is such a matter of stewardship. And, and I've got a, a, an African-American friend who's a pastor. He's a dear friend and pastors a gospel-preaching church that is predominantly black. And yet he told me over and over when we, we would talk about abortion, talk about so many platforms of uh, the, the left, this gospel-preaching black pastor, dear friend who I love, he said, I promised my grandmother as long as I lived I would vote Democrat. And I said, but, you know, if your godly grandmother was still alive today, I know she would not be for gay marriage, mm. transgenderism. I know she would not be for the enemies of the state of Israel. I know she would not be for abortion and socialism. And so I think what we have to do is two things. Help people understand that if you're a Christian, your vote is an issue of stewardship. It really is. The other thing is we are to vote about principles and positions, not parties and personalities. Um, I, you know, I'll just tell you, I'm a registered Republican, but if they turned pro-choice, anti-Israel, anti-U.S. Constitution, I would leave them in a heartbeat. And so it's not about a party or a personality, but it's about principles and positions. And that's why voting these days, I do think everybody should be registered to vote, and I think voting is a stewardship issue, but we have to read and, and be very informed. And uh, Bert, I talked Saturday to a pastor, Jim, I'm sorry, forgive me. Saturday, a pastor told me that not only did he not vote in 2020, he urged his congregation not to vote. And this path, he said, look, they're all dishonest. They can't trust none of them. And I said, well, i got to tell you, Brother Pastor, I think that was a very, very foolish thing to do. I mean, telling your congregation to not vote. And so um, I think about a quote by Edmund Burke. Edmund Burke was a statesman in colonial America. He said, all that is necessary for evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing. And, Jim, I know my home is in heaven. My trust is in Jesus. But as citizens, we've got to be informed and be engaged, don't we? We sure do. And it goes, you know, we've kind of talked about prayer several times, which makes it sense today uh, because it's exploring the word. But uh, this is another one of those times that you really have to pray about how you're going to vote. Uh, yeah. Because, again, you know, it, we're getting to such a place in this country that it's hard to find someone who's willing to stand up for family values, for uh, preborn children, you know, and, and these things. So we, we do have to pray the vote as well. Well, let's mm. talk to Hartwell calling from Louisiana now. Hartwell, welcome to Exploring the Word. Hello. Hello. Hi. Yeah, this is Hartwell. Yes, sir. You're on the air. Um, okay, you got me on the air. Yes, sir. Okay, um, in the last 26 years, I have talked with thousands of people trying to get people to resist evil. And my question is, does the Bible teach to resist evil? Absolutely. In Romans, uh, in fact, I took a moment because the, they had some comments about uh, what your question was going to be. And so I went ahead and looked up that verse for you. It's, uh, one of the verses, at least, is in Romans, the 12th chapter. And looking at verse 9, it says, "Love, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. 
And so uh, when we're taught about that, we're also taught to, uh, to flee, you know, from immorality and different things. And so, Alex, you know, when, when we think about apologetics teaching at its primary level, this is one of the first things that's taught, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, well, and you know what? Just as you were speaking, I thought about James 4, 7 that says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I do think we are to um, stand against evil, resist evil. And so God bless you for trying to encourage people to do that. All right, Hartwell, thanks for the call this afternoon, and I hope that helps. And uh, we'll continue to pray for you as you help Mm -hmm. folks learn to resist evil as well. Sherry from Louisiana. Sherry, welcome to Exploring the Word. Thank you for having me. Well, you're welcome. Can you hear me? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, you're... Go ahead, have me. In Philippians chapter 3, it talks about how Paul is a... Hebrew of Hebrews, but how did he become a Roman citizen? Uh, Alex, I've, I, I, you know, I've not really given that a lot of thought, but it's almost like being an American citizen. Paul was born as a Roman citizen, wasn't he? He was. He was. You know, we just finished up Galatians, which was probably the first thing that he um, wrote, the first of his letters, and the. History says that Paul's father was in some sort of uh, arm of the, the Roman military, and so he wa- Paul was born uh, a Roman citizen. Now, he was Jewish, but he, he had a Roman citizenry. He was educated under a very famous Jewish rabbi named Gamaliel, and so, you know, he... Um, was probably, most people think that Paul was definitely married because at one point he was a member of the Sanhedrin. And to be a member of the Sanhedrin, you had to be married. So Paul was unique, and I think that's one of the ways that God used him so mightily is because he knew both worlds. I mean, he he definitely knew all of the Jewish culture, the temple worship, and he when he says he was a Hebrew of the Hebrews, I mean, he was steeped in Judaism, but yet, politically and culturally, he knew Rome as well. Amen. Sherry, thanks for the call this afternoon. I hope that helps. And now, Alex, we're going to talk to Alex, except this time he's in Texas. Alex, welcome to Exploring the Word. Hello. Hello? Yeah, I have a question about prophets. Um, Are they still prophets today? Uh, Let let me say this. Uh, The Bible uses the word prophesy in a couple of senses. Um, Like, you know, when it in the Old Testament, like to Ezekiel, son of man, prophesy, meaning, um, you know, you're a human being who's a designated mouthpiece of God. Also, the, the Bible uses the word prophesy in terms of proclaiming God's word. So, Jim, I know you've heard these words to foretell, F O R E T O L D foretell the future is something a prophet does, but to forthtell the Word of God, F-O-R-T-H-T-E-L-L. So I'm just going to say this. I I think that there are people that have great, great, great discernment. I'm going to give you a case in point. Jim, have you ever heard of um, David Noble, who was founder of Summit Ministries? Yes, sir. Okay. I write about this in my article for the AFA Journal that's just coming up. 
here is um, discernment and saying something that turned out to be prophetic. Twenty-some years ago, I was part of a panel discussion, and James Dobson was there and David Noble and a lot of Christian worldview guys. And everybody was talking about liberalism and different things. And David Noble, and this was 21 or two years ago, he said the big, uh, the 800-pound gorilla in the room in the 21st century is going to be socialism. Well, goodness, in the late 90s, who could have seen that coming? Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, we were worried about things like, you know, abortion and homosexuality. And David Noble, everybody looked at him, and I'm sure a lot of people thought, really? And David Noble said, in the 21st century, the greatest threat to the church is going to be socialism. And here we are. So that was very prophetic. But in terms of a prophet like Daniel or Ezekiel, uh, I don't think there are prophets like that now because the Bible is complete and we, we don't need them. Now, I, I don't mean that we don't need people to proclaim the truth of God's word. We do. Thank the Lord for David Jeremiah and Billy Graham and people like that, Charles Stanley. Uh, but prophets, as in the biblical sense, that are being used by God to foretell the future— I don't. I don't think so nowadays, Jim. Do you? No, uh, I, I don't. I don't know that there is that there that anointing, if you will, because as you said, <laughs> you know, we look forward to his return, but that's about the only thing that's left, quote unquote, undone. Mm -hmm. All right. Yeah. Uh, hey, we had a, and I know we're coming up on the end of the program. Uh, apologize. Evidently, we did not answer uh, the question about the vaccine using the aborted fetal tissue and uh, if there were scriptures that would support us and in, in saying no because of that alex do you know one off the top of your head not off the top of my head and i i was not aware they all used aborted fetal tissue right. I, I don't know we'll have to circle back to that okay sure will we'll make a note of that hey folks thanks for listening this afternoon i'm jim stanley along with dr out Al dr alex mcfarland washington watch comes your way next on afr the views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.